Welcome, everybody. Uh, you are joining here with us today at um, we're in Australind. We're here um, today to record episode five of the Jab Injured series. Um, you're listening to the Eight News Show. I'm your host Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. I have, of course, for every Vax Injured series, or should I say, Jab Injured series. I have my uh, very special co-host, Dr. Mark Lofts, retired Dr. Mark Lofts. I always yes, throw it in like that. Welcome, Thanks, Mark. Andrew. Thank you for joining us today. Um, look, guys, um, we have a very interesting set of guests with us today, um, all ladies from the healthcare industry. Uh, in fact, nurses in the healthcare industry. So this is going to be a really special one. Uh, I'd like to introduce to the show Colleen... Hi, Colleen. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Hi. Um, now, the other guests I'm going to introduce simply as healthcare professional number one and healthcare professional number two. Yes, that's right. Thanks, um, Andrew. Thank you. Um, say hello, number one. Hello, Andrew. Hi, number two. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? Um, thank you so much for being with us, ladies. Well, um, this is going to be a little bit of a different one, Mark. Mm. Um, we're going to see the um, story from the other side, this time not the patients, but the nurse healthcare staffing. That's right, who are just as much victims as the patients are. Very much so, and we're going to find out all about that. Colleen, well, can we start with you? Um, I... Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you've re been retired for some time, but you've had a lifetime of experience in the industry. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yes, Andrew. Well, um, I was a practising nurse for 45 years and um, I um, was went round the world with my nursing career. And as well, I spent the last 20 years before I retired as a clinical manager, in fact, the night duty coordinator of a major hospital. Here in Perth? In Bunbury. Okay. Um, so I've, I've seen it from both perspectives, from being the clinical nurse on the floor, as well as the management side, but clinical management. So mm -hmm. um, I was right there on the floor as well. So whilst you weren't employed during the pandemic, you still have a very interesting insight into what's really going on here and the background to it all. Yes, well really the healthcare industry has been broke for mm. a lot of a lot of years. Mm -hmm. uh, always it was staffing issues and we were chasing our tail all the time. Yeah, and now it's just moved into completely broke. High mode. High, highly, High mode. completely and utterly broken, um, devolving healthcare system. Yes. Um, healthcare professional number one, welcome to the show. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about your background and what you're perhaps not currently doing, because I don't think that's relevant. Um, we don't want to disclose that either. But just what your background is and where you're from, I'm really interested to know. Hi everyone, so I have been a registered nurse for over 24 years. I started off in the country called Czech Republic, where I grew up under communism and saw a lot of tyranny and control, but mm. we might get to it a bit later. Yes, we will. 
And then I worked as a registered nurse in the mental health. So I have a bit of a mental health background too. And then I lived in England and worked for infectious diseases, tropical medicine and was running HIV clinic for six years. Yep. Okay. So you've got a unique background to talk about what we're going to discuss today. Yeah. And yep. last 14 years I spent in the private sector here in, yeah, in a hospital. Right. And in, yes, of course, in a hospital. <laughs> but to, number two, don't laugh at number one. <laughs> it's not that funny. Um, okay. We're going to have try and have a little bit of fun here today as well, everyone. Um, number two, um, how about, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you've recently come from? Um, again, I don't think what you're doing right now is relevant. We want to keep that a little bit secret because everyone, we have to understand that these two ladies are still currently working in the sector and uh, being as nasty as APRA is, we can't take any chances uh, for them to lose their registration and their, um, their life's career. So we're going to exercise some common practices. Um, before you go ahead, I want to say... Number two, before you go ahead, I'm just going to interject here that um, all opinions expressed here today, everybody, uh, are not necessarily the opinions of the 8 News Show or myself, Andrew, your host, or Mark, the co-host, mm. or any of the other individuals on this um, podcasting session with us today. The, um, the things that are expressed are for the individual only. And we're going to just keep it at that. So number two, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, how are you going, guys? So I've been a registered nurse for 20 years. Uh, the last 10 years I've worked in emergency and critical care areas, um, only as part-time and I do lots of casual shifts as well um, because unfortunately that's just the nature of the system we're always called in um, and we we always end up staying back on our shifts um, most of the time as well um, yeah I've I've pretty well been aware of the the idea of how the pharmaceutical corporations infiltrate in most of the um, most of the industries and governments across the globe yeah and peddle their um, influence. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and been well aware of the medical tyranny heading our way into Australia for the last good on five years. So, yeah, been, it, it's difficult and it's disheartening working in this industry where you see it just, it's just been taken over, literally. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's disheartening to see what's going on. Um, number two, tell me, um, I'm aware of uh, that the, in the healthcare industry, you're, you're always doing training, right? Uh, and I mean, like most sectors, but I'm, I imagine being in healthcare, you're doing constant training, retraining all the time. Uh, I believe that a lot of that training is actually paid for by the pharmaceutical um, corporations. Is that an experience that you've had? Do you know anything about that? I would say if, you, if you're doing sort of practice nursing or somewhere along those fields, then possibly because 
most of your training is going to be in um, using pharmaceutical agents. Yeah. Yeah, as yeah. your first line, yeah. not not as a last resort. Yeah, whereas I know with doctors, a lot of the training that they do, they have to do several weekends a year. Say if you're a GP, it's like four weekends a year. Um, in a lot of the cases, it's actually the pharmaceutical companies that are paying for that, which is a massive concern, right? That's a that's a it's there's a there's a crossover of interest there that shouldn't be there's a line that shouldn't be crossed right there but that's part of the bigger problem that we're going to discuss today right okay so um how about we kick off from the beginning and talk about colin obviously you're retired but um i'm sure you're gonna have a lot of input here um let's talk about why um, number one and number two specifically decided that they wouldn't take the vaccine? What was it when – let's start with the way this thing rolled out and what were the, the things that kind of raised your eyebrows um, to start beginning to think, well, this might not be the best idea? Uh, number one, did you want to start? Now, you two ladies, everybody, um, number one and number two are sharing a mic today. Uh, And so for the next hour or so, it's probably going to be a little bit awkward for them. I'm I'm so sorry. But if you just cuddle up, yes, don't worry about um, safe distancing. You don't need 1.5 metres. Maybe 1.5 centimetres is enough. So, okay. So... 0.5. 0.5, yes. So... um, Number one, did you want to tuck yourself in a little bit there and get a bit closer? Oh, that's it. Nice and cosy. Uh, <laughs> she's cracking up, everybody. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to sort of make you lose it. But number one, um, tell me a little bit about what happened with you when you're, you started to suspect that um, taking this um, experimental medical procedure was not possibly the right thing for you to do. Well, <clears throat> due to my background as growing up under communist country and under total control and totalitarian regime and tyranny, I could smell a rat straight away. Mm. I could feel it. What was know? it about? What was it that was the what? What smell? What was smelling to you? The push, the pressure, yeah. no consent needed. The propaganda. The propaganda. You, you saw the propaganda machine um, start up, start revving its engines and um, and then sneak on into your your personal space, right? Right. And also, Andrew, I have to say, I speak other languages. So I can hear the news from all around, all around the world saying the same thing, things happening at the same time. How strange is that, hey? I'm so glad you brought that up. Um this is something that people like to say is a conspiracy theory. Uh, it certainly is a conspiracy, but there's no theory there. Um, have you ever heard of the Drudge Report? It was one of the world's it was the world's biggest website at one point. Now it's completely fallen off the rails, but for very for very many years. Um, you you weren't a true journalist unless you were on the Drudge Report. Now, what they did was they took news from all around the world and put the stories together. And it was um, presented in a way like the original websites where it's just text links and they'd have like maybe a space for an advert. Just really simple. But um, I used to spend a bit of time on the Drudge Report. And uh, isn't it fascinating that... Exactly what you just said 
is actually what goes on, people. So, I mean, it, it's not too hard to understand how this could be happening when you realise that there's only like, what, five or six people in the world that own all of the world's media. Now, that's a problem. So true, Andrew. That used to be spoken about regularly in um, media here in Australia back you know, 20 years odd years ago there was a great big fear that this kind of thing would occur and it indeed has occurred there was a whole lot of fuss made about it in the press at the time mark please jump in if you've got anything to add to this but um uh and it was all i happened to have been in london at, at, at the time when this discussion was going on as well and they're having the same discussion over there uh, but then all of a sudden one day this story died and um, the entire thing globally got consolidated into just a few hands. Especially when uh, Robert Maxwell fell off the boat and uh, the police had to come around and uh, get the money and find about the financial misdoings of uh, Robert Maxwell and his uh, children. So it's been getting more and more tight under a few people's hands, particularly in the last 30 years. Yes. Yes. So please continue on. Well, so do, during this so-called pandemic, pandemic, whatever the pandemic, you guys yeah. like to call it, I could see the same ad on European television in different languages with different actors mm. saying the different same things, like here in Australia. Yep. And same as other countries are, I will not mention. Yep. And it was quite interesting, and sometimes the media even forget to put the arm of the mannequin on while they were talking to the patient. To put the what, sorry? Arm on the mannequin. Oh, so yes, they've been caught people. like that a few times. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth also mentioning that um, this is not a conspiracy theory. All these videos that come out with showing dead people in the streets and then you'll see another secretly filmed video and those people all get up after the film's been shot. <laughs> they're, they're professional actors. Are they are they are. Well. Yeah, it happens pretty regularly. Um, these talking heads on these mainstream media channels are deceptive little demons, that's for sure. Okay, so number one, so you you saw that this was all ca um, being carried out here in Australia, having already had the experience in a communist country. Correct. And you know what? I've heard from um, several other people, a couple of people from places like Serbia, Croatia, say the exact same thing to me. Mm. Isn't that interesting? I'd also like to note that um, whenever I catch a, a taxi, um, there's always some, um, I don't know, well, well, expat from another country kind of thing. Um, they're always the most informed people because they're from countries where they've seen it all happen. Mm. And um, I, I ask anyone listening to this that if you ever do get into a taxi, start up a conversation and just find out a little bit about that person you're with because you'll probably find they have a fascinating story. Very true. Right, so number two, you're sitting there very patiently. Tell me all about um, your introduction to this and what was it that happened that r really raised your concerns yeah, so I guess when the pandemic started, it really wasn't any surprise. Um, I remember thinking, oh, here we go, here's the, here's the virus. And I said to even uh, 
some of our school children's father, I think it was, I said, you watch, there'll be a vaccine in a year. <laughs> so having that in mind, just knowing how these, yeah, the systems sort of roll out. Um, Had was, you seen stuff like this before? Were you previously aware of all this or did you just literally instinctually feel like the way this was being pumped out was all wrong? No, probably for the last 15 years we've been aware with, um, I think, what's his name, Philip Day in uh, the UK and then obviously with um, Del Big Tree with mm-hmm. his information. Yeah. So basically, and then before I had my... Before I had my children um, eight years ago, I basically forcefully had to sit down and look into the information based around other vaccines um, and make those decisions as a parent. And of course, being a nurse, everyone said, oh, you know, but you're a nurse. Why wouldn't you do this, that or whatever? Um, But yeah, so having that sort of background knowledge into how the actual, I would say the pharmaceutical industries infiltrate those corporations and then infiltrate into your um, childhood vaccine schedules um, just knowing that yeah this this is how it's going to roll out and if you if you don't agree then see you later type thing yeah that was um, really frightening that aspect of it wasn't it mm. the way it was pushed like if you don't agree well then you're against Australia and you're you're you're, you're going to kill granny yeah, well, you're labelled as anti-vax and yep. I don't like that word. It's It should be vaccine-free. That's but right. you're not anti-vax. Are any of us uh, anti-vax? That's right. We're not anti-vax because some vaccines work, like the one against rabies, but rabies is a deadly disease. You don't get vaccines for things like chicken pox or flu. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Jump in, um, Colleen, if you want to add anything. I mean, every vaccine is is different. You have to look at every vaccine differently. So... That aside, if you're going to look at the COVID vaccines, um, yeah, you have to have that backed up evidence on 10 to 15 years of quality uh, trial. Control. Yep, and trials. Yes. um, And you have to have long-term data. So that that was an immediate red flag for me that, hey, these things don't have um, they don't have that long term, those long term studies and so forth. So hey, what's going on here? And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, plainly blindly follow what the experts are saying. Um, yeah, and hey, if it's going to cost me my job, then so be that for the moment. Um, I'm lucky because I can get away with, uh, you know, at the time my husband's income. Um, and I only work part-time. I mean, it, it is a huge income loss. It's probably going to be $50,000 really of yep. income loss for me at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I yeah made the decision. We've got – when I looked into oh, – it was the AstraZeneca rolled out first. Um, we've got a family history of blood clots. Mm. Um, my grand, oh, grandma – Father, DVTs, and my sister had blood clots in her lungs at 28 years old. Right, that's unusual. Must she must have something unusual like factor five Leiden, something like that, which predisposes you to. Mm. Yeah. And I've had I've had previous for myself health for myself. I've had previous hematology checkups because of that reason, because of 
um, yeah, my older sister, and there was something that came up in the blood test. So, you know, straight away I was like, no way for, you know, AstraZeneca, the only other one that was offered was the Pfizer for our age group. No mRNA technology. Yeah. No, not, yep. not enough Faulty short-term testing has been blown out of the water. It's known now that they they created all sorts of cross-contamination in their their short-term testing obviously no long-term testing mm. um i want to throw something out to you i i don't have a name to put to this but recently i was listening i just want to throw it in there i was recently listening to either a virologist or a biologist who had been involved in pharmaceutical development and apparently there's this known thing in that process or in that industry that if you have very poor results in your short-term testing, it's guaranteed that you're going to have exponentially bad long-term results. Mm. Um, it sort of makes – it's sort of like common sense, you would think, but there is actually a quantifiable um, study that's shown that – Bad results short term mean really disastrous results. That's right. Long term. Yeah, you can do it statistically with what's called a chi-square test when you have only a small sample size. You yeah. can work these things out fairly quickly. Now, of course, I'm, I'm sort of preaching to the choir here, but um, before this happened, the converted, sorry, thank you for correcting me there, number two, you could have said that into your microphone and that really caught me out. But anyway... Um, the uh, one of the things that's so interesting, isn't it, that um, the 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 highest number of adverse reports we had on the um, the, the database, the uh, uh, VAERS, VAERS database. I'm thinking of um, the TGA database actually, but there was something like three thousand six hundred reports on a pharmaceutical that had been on the market for over twenty years. Then we get these fleet of things, whatever they're, they're Franken-shots, whatever you want to call it, um, highly experimental, one part, one one tiny part of a, a global experiment on the population of the planet. Uh, and within just a few short months, we have over 100,000 reports in a few short months. Now, how the hell have they kept this argument up that this is a good thing to do these, to roll these these shots out? Now they're really pushing for children to be done. Mm. It's really criminal because as I knew when I was a child, before I had any ideas of getting into medicine when I was six years old, a flu bout came around Sydney where I lived. And my parents knew, as everyone else did, that only old people, people who were getting past about 70, die of the flu. Youths, adolescents and especially children do not die of the flu. They just get a minor cold and that is it. There is no reason whatsoever to jab young mm. people. It's like all this other rubbish we've had like Gardasil preventing yes. uh, papillomas uh, and genital warts, etc. That's a lot of garbage because the Gardasil causes many side effects. There were a lot own. of deaths from that as well, weren't That's there? That's right. Um, Colleen, what um, was your thoughts about this when you saw all this going on? Uh, well, in 2020, in 2020, when it was first called the pandemic, um, of course, we're in lockdown. But at the same time, because of my medical interest, I started looking at a huge amount of stuff on, on YouTube. Yep, so you're so quite active in your retirement, quite actively 
connected to your career and, and the healthcare industry? Yes. Well, interestingly enough, when I actually retired, I thought I've got to keep the brain going. So I sort of sent off to, you know, have some of these um, uni type of things that you do on the screen. You know, oh, yeah. And just, just to basically keep my mind oh, going. You know, online education. Yes, and it's yep. done through universities, um, particularly an American university. Yep. Yep. Uh, and just so I had an interest, and then particularly if it was medical or nutrition or those sorts of Fantastic. topics. Fantastic. Um, and then when this started to come on the TV, and I'm going, oh, well, this is interesting. And, and then I started to follow um, several of the different doctors on, on the YouTube shows that they were having, the virologists, the scientists. Um, yep. So These courageous I people was, that stood up. I was yep. piqued. And then, of course, later there was Judy Wileyman came down and gave a talk um, so that interested me as well. I got her book, read that. Uh, as a nurse the whole time while I was at the hospital in the older days, didn't really question it, any of this sort of, apart from the fact that um, I knew that I, when I had hepatitis B vaccines, which you had to have as part of being a, um, working, mm. um, that I never converted, they call it. And... And so converted. Well, sorry, it just means I didn't converted. build up an immunity, um, an immunity, or a, I didn't get antibodies or something, something I didn't get because um, even for my children. Oh, and so in other words, the um, hepatitis vaccines didn't actually have any effect on you. Is That's that right. right. It's very variable. Even though I had the three courses <coughs> and whatever yep. you had to, didn't work. Didn't work. Um, then uh, I actually had my mother who was in a nursing home and she fell ill and I had to take her to the hospital. And then when she came, she did survive briefly, but when she came back to the nursing home, they were just ready to put that flu vaccine in as a mandate. And I said to, I rang the pathology department and I said, well, have you got a test that I can see whether I build up any immunity to that flu vaccine? Um, because my mother's dying and, and if I get that flu vaccine and I'm sick, I can't go in and see her. Mm. So, um, Colleen, I'd like to ask you something. Sorry, I'm always telling people to speak into the mic and I'm not doing it myself. Um, the, 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 the problem I've got with this flu vaccine, and I actually, I'm, I'm starting to think, and I haven't spoken to you about this yet, Mark, mm. but... Um, just in, in doing these jab injured series that we've been doing, and I mean, a lot of stuff, we've only, you're, you guys are the fifth episode, right? But I have also spoken to a great many number of these people before we started recording their stories. And um, I've started to think that this flu vaccine thing is actually a little bit of a, plays a part in this overall thing that's going on. I think it was actually part of some testing that's gone on. To right. It's starting to appear that way, isn't it? Because the great thing with this flu vaccine is that it, it's well known, it has been for a long time, that the flu um, mutates mm. from season to season. So when, when it, it comes wintertime and you go take that vaccine, you're actually taking it for something that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, what the heck is that about? It, it doesn't do anything for you. I know of a great many number of people who take this, this flu vaccine and all, they, all that happens is they get sick. Yeah. Mm. 
And that, then they'll still my, get the flu. Yeah. That was my experience at the hospital because the nurses would have the flu vaccine in the morning and then we'd come back on to night shift that night. By the time I went off the next morning, I had a sore throat. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, you've shared that to me. And it happened year after year when that was being rolled out. I never had it. Yep. And and I would be off sick for three days. They'd be off sick for a week. Yep. And that not that another interesting part of this? I've had COVID. Yeah, I was in a lot of – I had a lot of bad back pain for four days. Um, Panadol's helped – Brilliantly, mm. um, for uh, what is it? You take two every four hours. That's, that's right. all I did. Mm. I was fine. I was still. I could feel it, but I was comfortable enough to be able to sleep. And of course, I was very tired. Didn't have a lot of the the coughing sort of fluy symptoms, but it geez, it knocked me knocked me down overnight. But hey, four days later, I'm up and going again. Um, by the fifth day, I was back out working. Um, and at that time, we were doing a lot of physical stuff, lots of rallies, people. I've been mm. on a lot of marches, um, mm. and uh, and it really didn't affect me very badly at all. Yet, um, everyone I know who's taken the jab, they've had it like three and four times already, mm. and it's knocked them out for a week at a time. That's right. Once you have the jab, it's worse than it would be otherwise. I got what I think was COVID back in November 2019. I was 64 then. I had three days in bed, but I was right after that. After a couple of weeks, I was fully normal. There's no need to get a jab for that, especially when they've got good drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which yeah. the government is trying to prevent people using. Yeah, and I think we should talk about that Um at some point, but I think that might come in a, a little bit later on in the show. What I'd like to do now is start to move over into the area of what did, um, or sorry, for number one and number two, what did you start seeing when these jabs were rolled out? Um, number one's pointing at number two and number two is pointing at number one, everybody. <laughs> Num- number, number two, two will go. Yeah. Mm. Tell, so, me, tell me number two. Yeah, so obviously I work in the emergency department, so front line, and I mean I only work two shifts a week, bear in, bear in mind. So I might just, if I can, just kind of we when this all started occurring um, and it was October, there was a telegram nurses speak out. So I've put my bits and pieces on there, so I'll just – Quickly, if I so, can. Sorry, can we just clarify? There was a Telegram group that you were posting to at the time, or is that what we're talking about? So when, obviously, when the mandates came in, and when yep. the well, really, when the the mandates and the vaccine roll out. Yeah. So um, when people actually started getting uh, jabbed. Correct. Yeah. What happened in the hospital? What were you seeing? Yeah. So probably from about May. Um, I was seeing patients of all ages reporting um, onset of bad headaches for about a week, after, uh, sorry, for a week, like five days. Um, immediately, really after their, this was the AstraZeneca that was going around first. Um, so our older patients, they would get a head CT, that would all be clear, they'd get a bag of fluid and then go home. Um, so, yeah, I was noticing... Um, possible people were having possible exacerbations of their underlying conditions roughly about three weeks after their vaccines. Um, I had a 72-year-old patient, um, chronic anemia, 
She was due to have an iron infusion, so her hemoglobin was 85. Sorry, I'm going into a bit of That's all right. right. You can do that. Slow. You just got to remember that um, people aren't doctors and nurses in the mm. audience, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, same thing. Three weeks after her, it was her second AstraZeneca, her haemoglobin had dropped down to about 64. Um, this was the second time that she'd presented to ED, very symptomatic with her with haemoglobin being so low, low uh, 48 now, which is quite low. Mm. Uh, we couldn't – there was no active bleeding. Like we, we're always going to look for active bleeding on a patient that, that presents with a low haemoglobin. Um, okay, can I just ask you, what does that mean? So you mean they're losing blood at the time? Yes, it means that they could be losing blood through the gut or they may right. have hematoma in the body or something. They could be losing blood that way. Right. But they may also not be producing blood because they have ah. antibodies to their blood cells. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So obviously with that patient, we uh, would – well, she got admitted for what's called a upper GI scope. Um, and a colonoscopy, and she had a blood transfusion, of course. Um, another patient, 49-year-old, she had underlying hypertension, so she was on some medication. This was the second time that she'd presented to our ED in two days, said that she had her Pfizer two weeks ago, and then um, she was telling me since then she'd had left-sided chest discomfort all through her shoulder, rib area, Severe pain when she was waking up at night time. Um, her what's called a perk was negative, which checks for pulmonary embolisms. Um, it's a okay. What 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 is that? And and uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with perk so because I've been out of medicine since so 1995. A, so. Yeah, sure. So it's mm. it's a it's a criteria that rules out. Pulmonary embolism. So there's a set of. Um, oh, I won't go into basic it. Basic tests. It's, it's yeah, things. yeah. Yep. It's um, yeah, criteria that rule. Yeah, that indicates whether you possibly could have a blood clot there. Example: If you're on um, oral contraceptive medication, something like that. Right. So that was negative for her. Her what's called a troponin, which checks your um, heart yeah. muscle. It's a yep mm. enzyme that's released if you've got damage. heart muscle damage. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So as yep. in a heart attack. And myocarditis. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so that was negative. Her chest X-ray had no consolidation, and what's called a D-dimer was negative as well. So, yeah, we pretty much sent her home with okay, some anesthesia. So let's ask about that one. So she didn't have all those classic things that you're looking for. They were all negative. All her testing and her blood work, biochemistry work, all came up negative. Okay, so she's presented after the jab. Correct. And she's had this issue. What was the issue she was experiencing? Like left side of chest pain. Right. Um, but all the t- pain when waking up, like it was waking her up at night. Okay, but the, everything you patient, tested yeah. for was, was coming negative. back negative. Correct. And what, what turned out to be the issue there? Don't like, know because we send patients home without a okay, diagnosis. Great. They have a follow-up with a... Cardiologist, they'll get sent a, a request for a cardiologist. Mm. Bear in mind down here, we only have two cardiologists. So what was happening was, I'm sure, the cardiologists down here were inundated okay. with referrals. You've just hit a really good point for me. I wanted to interject this, but I want to ask Mark, what, what would you think, just before we go into this, what, what, 
might have been the issue with that lady. Well, I was thinking with that left-sided chest pain, you'd be thinking of heart attacks first, but they seem to rule it out. They also ruled out pulmonary embolus, which can also give you pain like that. But I'd be thinking first off they had arteriospasm due to intermittent clotting because some people do have a tendency to have... Uh, arterial and coronary arterial spasms, they then go away and the patient, when they're examined, even with uh, uh, cardiac catheter, their arteries are normal. Another thing could be they may have uh, intermittent blood clots in parts of the brain which are registered by the body as pain on the left side. Mm. So it could actually be the sign of uh, an emerging stroke which has then gone away because the small area where the clot has developed is uh, rapidly lies because some people have uh, a very strong hemolytic system which can get rid of blood clots and there's a lot of individual variation there. So just listening to that, it sounds like there would be cause for further in get investigation. In That's that right, case, and cause right? not to give any more jabs. Absolutely. Now, this leads. This is a great segue into my next question. Um, something that we've become highly aware of is that there's situations on like many every day when a patient presents. They they present with a complaint like the one that you've just described. Um, and then the first thing that the doctors slash nurses ask is, oh, were you jabbed recently? Okay, you don't, but that does happen. I, I was. Yep. Yeah, so initially when the rollout occurred, no, triage nurse was not asking and doctors weren't asking. So okay. it's only, you know, me when I'm doing my assessment, I was asking the patients or the patients were telling me I had that. So they'd already started putting ago. it together. Yeah. They were already realizing that that was the the only thing in the past that's changed. Yeah. yeah. Possibly, but when, you know, when we do our what's called a secondary assessment, we we've got we can ask them, you know, is, you know, well, this is what I would do. I asked them, is there any new medications that you have started on, reduced, has your GP reduced your medications? Is there any new medications that you've started on? Is there any vaccines that you've had? That's mm. what I was starting to ask. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. a perfectly reasonable thing and doctors should record a vaccination history, especially when the patients say that this pain, etc., only came on two days after I had this jab and I've never felt so bad in my life. I mean, the doctors yeah. should be recording that, but apparently they're being told not to record called vaccine histories, yeah. which is falsifying statistics. And that's what I was getting into, right? So the feedback that we're getting, and we're, we're getting a lot of this information now, is that uh, once um, the nurse or the doctor asks that question, from, and, the, and, the, and the patient re responds, well, yes, I had the, the whatever, uh, the next step is to start using all this code language around that's not what's caused the problem, this is you've had a completely normal reaction. You've had a completely normal adverse reaction to the, the jab, but don't worry, it's completely normal. And all you need to do is just take it easy for a couple of hours and here's some Panadol and see you later, head on home. Mm -hmm. If you continue to have problems, call your GP. Uh, and then the other thing we've got, I just need to throw this bit in there, is that we have all kinds of reports coming from all over the place where doctors' surgeries, GPs, are changing the little phone message 
on their answering service to say, if you're experiencing heart pains and and palpitations, go straight to the emergency ward at your nearest hospital. Uh, I'm sorry, but that is an admission that there is an issue. (laughs) That's right. You have chest pain. You don't go to the local GP. You have to go to hospital because they have to fix you up if you're having a heart attack. But it's no longer – welcome to your um, local community healthcare centre – Please, please wait while while we get ready to take your call next, kind of thing. Mm. No, it's not that. It's like, don't call us. Just go to the hospital now. Yeah, and now you'll Isn't be put on ramping as well. That's right. Now you've got this ramping got which this you ramping never had only in the last thirty years. It's dreadful. Well, it's no surprise that it's occurring though. That's right? what's worse now. Um, what do you think about that, Colleen? Are, are you have you experienced this sort of same sort of scenario? Well, I've been hearing all the time about what's happening now, but Mm. um, in my previous days, anybody who came in with adverse events, it was straight away flagged on their their, um, medical records, big Mm. red um, tape or whatever, stamps. Um, And so basically if if they had been allergic to a penicillin injection or something, you were not allowed to give it to them on pain of almost like death in court cases. Mm. Yes. Um, so this has all changed and that's where I've been horrified that you can have an adverse event and a severe adverse event. You can have clotting histories, all sorts of things, but you're told to go and have another You know what I find? Jab. I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just a weirdo. I have a memory, okay? <laughs> but um, – uh, and I can't actually say the name of the film, but, you know, a lot – I mean, the beauty of movies is is that, you know, it explores concepts that you can then sort of chew over in your mind and sort of make a decision about, right? Well, mm. um, I remember more so themes like that from films than necessarily the name of the film, if you know what I mean. Now, the, we've seen films in the past about this um, child – I'm just going to pick a scenario, right? Everyone will know what I'm talking about when I say it. But child's got this really rare disease and they're going to die. Um, the mother or the father or both get really heavily inv- invested in it. They find that, oh, there's this experimental drug being developed in South America or some weird place. Um, and then they have to go through this monumental legal battle to get access to that treatment. The kid's going to die anyway, right? Um, why not try that thing? Mm-hmm. And yet they've got to go through court cases and all kinds of drama to get there, and that's what the film's all about, right? And then finally they get access and the kid dies like a week, a day before they got the access or or they, they got it and it was a wonderful, beautiful story. That was never lost on me when they started talking about this thing and the fact that, um, oh, we're we're looking at donald trump i think the guy did some good things but geez he ruined this one uh operation warp speed um and then all the other countries dived on board with it and uh forget about the legalities now no we're going to have this thing rolled out not a brand new technology but a technology that hadn't previously been used like this the inventor of the technology saying "Mm, this spells danger all the people who are the actual experts say don't do it, and yet the government's hardcore, 
No, not only are we going to roll it out in six months with no long-term testing, faulty short-term testing, which, by the way, we're going to cover up. That is not a conspiracy theory. That is fact. The documentation has been released under Freedom of Information by Pfizer. And so for the little censorship people out there, get stuffed. Um, <laughs> this, um, this, is, this is actually what's going on. Mm. Um, and uh, roll up your sleeve for WA, otherwise you're a granny killer. That's right. Put on your mask, kiddo. Little, say to a little kid or granny yeah. will die. This is blackmail destroying the lives of little children. Now, I think I can say that what we've got now is a totalitarian system and for people Absolutely. to understand what it is, and I'd like you to comment, Nurse One, that I remember Yuri Bezmenov, who was a Russian um, uh, dissident who escaped from Soviet Russia through India and his famous video he did about 30 years ago was talking about how totalitarianism is creeping into the USA, not just from Russia, and he points out uh, Brezhnev's goings-on with, now everything has been normalised in brotherly Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And how the uh, twisting of people's minds to make them accept the system, in other words, a, a criminal pacification, and this is what's going on now in our Western countries. Since you've lived in a communist country, would you say there's an analogy now with what's going on? Well, it is certainly very similar. And um, when, well, basically our CEO sent us a video message. Is this in, listen to. in Czech? No, this is when I had to make the decision. Okay, over here in Australia. Yeah. Over here in Australia, to be precise, the 6th of September Just 2021. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, so we were told what you will do, what you must do, and you will obey. Mm. By the end of September 2021, we were told on the 6th of September on the video message, no personalised huddle up, no, hello, this is the situation. No, no time to consider, just we're telling you now and on that date, boom, off you go. We are informing you, basically. Right. Now, wasn't you were saying off mic earlier that there was some very strange thing that was involved in that communications that was quite... Well, there was a lot of strange things okay. <laughs> in Tell the communications. Um, well... So we're just writing notes, everyone. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. So I think I start with the one where I received an email and a letter from my line manager saying, I refuse to take this vaccine for COVID-19. Or there was a box. The two options was that I could refuse and sign. Or the other option was the caregiver refuses to sign and the manager apparently can sign on my behalf. <laughs> So I lost sign my Sign what, sorry? Sign what? A piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. A refusal it's, it's, of consent yeah, yeah. So, to receive this vaccine okay. under threat so one, I will yeah. face disciplinary action. Under threat of loss of your job whilst Correct. we bully, harass, coerce you, which is technically um, defined as torture, emotional Tyranny. torture. Yeah. Um, and one of the checkboxes on this form was so that if you didn't comply, the manager could have had a special little box that they could tick on your behalf for you. That's um, rather dr draconian, 
Mark? Yes, I, I think that Nurse One has explained that fully. I mean, she shows exactly how the communist or totalitarian principle is working here just as it worked back in communist countries, as so, Yuri Bezmenov said. Totally, Mark and Andrew, and it was a massive... It wasn't just a red flag. It was ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Hey, tell me something. Um, when you did your training, Colin, jump in here as well... Um, you know, the Immunisation Handbook of Australia is um, written directly out of our healthcare legislation and it very specifically covers informed consent. And in fact, I think the terminology is informed valid consent. Now, that's enshrined in our um, healthcare system and it comes out of the Nuremberg trials. Okay, there's a very, very clear historical precedent for having informed consent mm. or invalid form consent. Um, were you taught that uh, when you, while you were doing your training and what do you think about the fact that now that enshrined um, inalienable right that we have as individuals has now been converted into an obligation? It's absolutely disgusting. The fact that we had to swear and the Bible, and the oath that we will respect and without free informed consent given freely by the individual, we will not administer any medical procedure or treatment or attend to you any care if we do not get clear free consent from the individual. Now, number one, did you do your training, complete your training in Czech Republic or over here in Australia? So I've done my original registration in the Czech Republic, which is a four-year course. Yep. Fully trained uh, midwife, pediatric nurse, mental health professional. Okay. Was always in this uh, part of the training. And then I lived and worked for eight years in the UK, specifically in Oxford, where I worked in the Oxford University Hospitals. Right. Well, that would have been an experience. Wow, yes. Um, now... Number two, when you did your training, and did you have to also swear on the Bible um, words to that effect in regard to valid informed consent? I don't recall going through, yeah, so having to sign or swear anything on the Bible, but yeah, it's it's just known. Um, you were trained that 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 is an enshrined inalienable right, though, weren't you? Correct. So if you're, if you are um, any medical procedure, you have to have the person's fully informed consent. They cannot be coerced. They cannot be um, manipulated. Yeah, yep. manipulated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for any medical procedure, you you are, are supposed to have the fully informed consent from your patient, um, and that and that's for any. Any procedure. Absolutely. So vaccinations come under medical procedures. Uh, mm. Just before I left the hospital, they, they had brought in a ruling for doctors. There was a 10-point questionnaire or a point box thing that they had to tick off just to give blood. So yep. you couldn't give blood unless the patient consented to all these things. Yep. As the doctor was speaking to them about it, <clears throat> Uh, if the patient was unable to because of mental issues or something and had to be a relative or 
um, yeah, the person spokesperson on their behalf. I can remember um, several doctors coming and saying, we haven't got time for that. And I said, well, you have to do it by law. Hospital policy as well as it's a law. Um, now, so this is – sorry, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going Go to say, so under your duty of care and under your emergency, um, uh, there is policies that you can provide medical treatment only under those conditions. Yeah, so and the that's only time I have ever seen something occur to a patient where they were hmm, – I wouldn't say refusing, but uh, yeah, the only time is in an emergency where the doctor had to say to that patient, do you want to die or do you yeah. want to live? Yeah. And I want to live. So therefore, the patient got a blood, tra- blood, or blood transfusion in an emergency situation. 100%. So now they've come out with this emergency declaration where they're saying, well, this is an emergency for the entire population, mm. which is just yeah. absolutely false. And not only is it ludicrous, it's just a plain lie. That's right. Two years of a state of emergency. And that is used as a justification to apply a law, Proposition 158, brought in by the previous state government, the Colin Barnett Liberal government, and this Proposition 158 says that if your name is written down by a biosecurity officer on the jab form, you can be held down and forcibly jabbed, including by the removal of underwear. Yeah. But, I mean, the other thing is we have such a thing as uh, as the Biosecurity Act of 2015, and it Mm. clearly states that I read the legislation – it clearly states there that, um, you know, you have to have a certified doctor to certify that that situation isn't an emergency, number That's one. Right. You've got to go through this whole legal process. You need a witness. You need a witness. But now, um, oh, there's a cafe with a couple of people in there that aren't wearing a mask. Oh, cops dive in, arrest everyone, drag everyone off. Now, where was the doctor to certify that there was a danger or a risk, number one? Number two, Mr McGowan, who are your health experts? Who are your professionals? And what is the data that you're making those decisions off? We still haven't seen that. No. We still don't know who those people are. We just know them as the experts. Don't yeah, we? A, a friend of mine had written to the health minister asking where does your information, your medical information for the directive come from, and the health minister referred her to an article in National Geographic. <laughs> There's Isn't no transparency at all. None, right. none. So with, with my termination process, disciplinary proceedings, all my relevant questions that I was um, asking them for information, they would refer back to um, the... Oh, the one. directives. Yep. Yeah, the mandates public and directives. Yeah, the public health order, yeah. Um, number two, what's going on over there? <laughs> Okay. Um, I, was think, I was thinking of APRA, but it's not APRA. It's the uh, Australian Regulatory Board for Immunisation, um, ATAGI. ATAGI. So that's where they would refer me back to for 
you know, all, all these decision-making for why you need to have the vaccine. Yeah, so they could never actually answer you. And um, here's the other issue that I've got. Now, maybe it's a bit different because you're working in the healthcare system, but I, I'm going to assume not. Um, the enshrined um, right of doctor-patient privacy has now been invaded by the government utilising um, employers as proxy kind of guards um, enforcing the, you, you to share your private medical history with them so that they can police you on behalf of the government. I mean, the the injustices or the crimes or and we're, we're talking about civil many civil crimes we're talking about physical assault um you know you put a needle in someone's arm without their express permission you've literally assaulted Assault, them. just like pushing the swab right up the nose past the nostrils it's all an assault um it's an assault uh, also verbally our our prime minister oh, sorry our our um our political authorities our our, our leaders um, our state premiers calling us, well, ours here in Western Australia calling us all manner of names. Grow brain. Mm. All, all of that, right? But um, I ask the three of you here with us today, are you not um, uh, a- adults who are informed on the subject matter, who um, uh, can exercise critical thinking, uh, are you not that kind of person or are you literally just a dum-dum that needs to grow up? I think Mark McGowan's made the decision there. I think he has. Now, you're the really the experts, um, but you're apparently you need to grow a brain, ladies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I yeah. think that um, we're here today because we are the informed ones. Mm. The ones who, um, uh, number one will <laughs> tell you. <laughs> Um, hang on a minute. Yeah. Let me just note the Angelina. time. I think we're going to just beep that out, everyone. So dead on 59 <laughs> minutes, people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she's um, basic, basically um, some of her colleagues just said to her, oh, good on you for doing that research. We didn't do our research, but we'll just, you know, line up for the jab. Oh, right. It's so science. We're yeah. the ones who have done the research and that's why um, the girls have taken their stand and why those who aren't lining up and who've lost their jobs are not taking the yeah. job. So in, in this particular industry, our careers, that's what you learn to do. You critically think. That's right. You analyse and critically think everything that you do and you need to have a, an, an answer for why you are doing things. So why are we not allowed to critically think of uh, experimental injection, what's going into us, um, why is that taken away from us? Yeah. Please go ahead, number one. And also, there is no consideration for personal individual health situation. That's right. I wanted to get into that. Mm-hmm. individual medical history. Say, for example, I have an autoimmune disease already. Yep. Then no one would consider that. Yeah. It is known that with this so-called vaccination, it's causing a lot of autoimmune diseases, neurological yeah. diseases. Exactly. Mm. Now, like number two was saying earlier that um, uh, is it you or a member of your family has an issue with blood clotting, yet 
And that's an extremely dangerous situation mm. to be in. And I know, I can't remember the technical term for the, the condition that people have, but I know of one person who literally risks instant death and yet can't get an exemption. Mm. Yeah, so that's your anaphylaxis reaction. Right. Or hypercoagulability, referring to all the people who have a coagulating tendency, not just Factor Five Leiden like myself, but people yeah. with other... Uh, yeah, now, isn't it shocking to think that um, our governments around the world, but let's just talk about our own here, would force that upon you? Um, that, to me, that simple fact... I mean, and I guess if you combine it with the fact that there was no long-term testing, that's enough to run for the, for the hills as far as I'm concerned. It's little wonder why there are people in, in this freedom community who have been activated like I was. I was just a guy out doing fly and fly out mining. Really loved my job. But uh, when they brought this in, I was completely and utterly activated. My life was transformed because I just knew instinctually that there was nothing good about this. And here's an interesting one. It, you know, think about it like this. If you have to be bullied, coerced, harassed, and I could come out with another 30-odd words for it, can you really stop and, and think that perhaps that thing isn't so good for me? Or why do they need to bully, harass me and harass me and threaten me with the loss of my job if this thing is so damn good for us all? I mean, it's just... You should voluntarily take it if it's so good. Or you should roll up your sleeve for mm. WA. You should really queue overnight and wait to get this amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, by the way, one shoe fits all. Yeah. Somebody decided and people actually believe that somebody appointed by so-called self-God yeah. can tell you that without consideration to your race, to your medical history, to your age, to the female, religion. male, religion. Everything. Don't let me start on religion. Yeah. I have put in grievance. Now we're talking about it. Yeah. Quite deep grievance. I send it to the... To WA. the medical board. Yeah. Yeah. About fetal cells being part of these vaccines. Yeah, I'm glad mm. you brought this up. I think a lot of people don't understand this. Do you know that fetal cells, don't ask me how it's done right, but this is a, a fact, um, is used in flavouring for PepsiCo. I've heard that. That's all that's, I know. That's a mm. fact. Mm. Um, it, it's horrific. Um, and, and look, we're not going to get into this side of things because there is um, a whole... I think we need to spend a whole show on that. But, I mean, late-term abortions, my God, the, it's horrific. Mm. And I actually know for a fact, because I've asked a lot of people, uh, most people don't understand what that is. Um, and I can promise you it's quite damn disturbing. I don't know do, if we... Do you mean late-term abortion? Yes. Mm. So post-20 weeks? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We won't go into it anymore, and that's quite disturbing. Um Go do your own research, people. Um, it'll uh, rock your world. You do. Okay. I probably don't want to get into that any more than right now. So what I'd like to talk about now, we haven't covered. Yeah, we'll just move on. We'll move on from that. Um, number one, you, you want to say something. Go on, number one. Get in there. I'd just like to share the response I got from the managers of this private institution. When you raise your concerns. Yes. Yeah, please tell me. Yeah, so I have sent this grievance to everybody I could think of. 
course. No one has replied until the CEO of this private institution that has in uncertain terms told me uh, I have objected as being Catholic. Fetal cells are not acceptable thing for me to take in a job or otherwise. Absolutely. And um, I have been, and I have the formal letter for further evidence. I've been told that the Vatican and the Pope himself Mm. encourages everybody to get this vaccine regardless of the status. Well, what is actually... You've got this in writing, haven't you? I have. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to... Well, you know, Say something we, we, else. we need to put that out there and expose expose that letter. But yeah, please. Yeah, so I have been sent this letter and I have read it and I have printed it. But within two hours, this letter has been withdrawn from my inbox. I have it. Uh, because but you have, you've in, got a copy of it. By instinct, I thought I need to have the copy. I need to actually see if this is real. I'm not dreaming right. this up. Because mm. something, I can't remember all the words, but I have it. But it's got withdrawn. Okay, hey, listen, I'd like to interject for our, to, uh, to our audience. Would you like to know more about this letter? How do you feel about that? Can you please make a comment in the show notes below? I'd really like to hear back from you because that is particularly disturbing. Yeah. And I'm thinking that possibly we, we would, may want to talk about that again sometime, number one. I think so there because it's very important because the present Pope, Pope Francis, got in because the previous Pope, Benedict the Fourteenth or Sixteenth, he resigned, which is very unusual. And when I saw the Pope's picture, the new Pope, Pope Francis, I was surprised that I recognised his face. But Pope Francis comes from Argentina, which I'd visited in 1990, and he was that very bishop in Argentina who was being investigated by the police and judges for being involved in the dirty war in Argentina. Well, surprise, surprise. Very interesting. Um, yes, and look... Um, Look, you you take a look at any of the photos of that guy and doesn't he just look like the devil? He he, he looks evil. Yeah. Um, Don't know uh, what's going on over there, but um, I'm sure it's nothing good. Now, let's have a quick chat. We've we've talked about lots of stuff here today. It's been very um, engaging. What do you know about – let's talk about the vaccines. I mean, I don't want to call it a vaccine. It's not actually a vaccine, everybody. I know that I'm probably sure uh, that everyone listening to this knows that already. But for anyone new, they're not vaccines. Why so, Mark? They're not vaccines because they're uh, basically COVID jabs. They've got a whole lot of muck in it. They've got a whole lot of adjuvants. While they might be called vaccines – they are too dangerous and they have not been tested properly. A proper vaccine is something that has been tested for 10 years and shown to be safe. All this could be called as a toxic soup. And they're basically lying about testing these so-called vaccines, these COVID jabs, because they've only been on the market for two years. But they're also very different to a traditional vaccine. Can you explain that to Everybody, please. Most of these so-called COVID jabs, most of these so-called vaccines consist of mRNA, which are pieces of RNA taken from the supposed virus, and this RNA codes for a protein called the spike protein. Now, in ordinary vaccines, you take uh, the... Uh, protein from the virus itself or the bacteria itself and you inject that along with adjuvants to give you an immune response. But these are much more dangerous because this 
mRNA can get into your own, uh, even your own DNA, and the mRNA can produce multiple copies of the spike protein and fill your body with the spike protein and becomes extremely toxic because the spike protein is very toxic to your body and it's also related to a human protein called syncytin, which is necessary for human fertility. And if you have antibodies to the spike protein, you will make antibodies to syncytin. And if you're a young girl or a young boy who's been injected with this muck, by the time you're about 15 or 16, you'll end up sterile and you'll never yeah. have children of your own. Yeah, and, and the, the, there's no conspiracy around that. There's lots of data now. Um, mm. There's been a hell of a lot of research going on around the world and we know that this is true for a fact. Um, if anyone disagrees, I ask you to go and do your own research, as always. Yeah, don't stick to YouTube and the censored muck like Facebook and Twitter, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and just because you're told that it's... Um, uh, the fact checkers tell you one thing and the fact checkers are full of it, so do your own research. Um, so we, we, we're going to talk about what you all understand um, to th- these jabs are all about. Would I, who, who'd like to kick off that? I mean, wh- what do you understand of the jabs, what's in them? Or have I just asked a really stupid question? I mean, we've Well, I think Mark's covered... Most of it. Most of it. Yeah, Uh Somebody's knocking on our door for some uh, ungodly reason, I'm sure. Um, thanks, thanks for that, number one. Number one's going out to the door to see what's going on, everybody. We're having someone knock on our door. Um, okay, so let's move on from that. Um, my bad. We did cover it very well, didn't we? Uh, or Mark covered it very well. Um, I guess the thing that I'd really like to talk about now, though, is what are you hearing from other people in the industry, Colleen, I mean, you're keeping your ear really close to the ground. What sort of feedback are you getting from just other people, the other nurses in the industry? Not a lot. Why would that be? I'd say the gag processes, you know. So I know they're unhappy, but they're not really coming forth with anything. And I'm and I'm not actually in the hospital to to actually... Okay. So it's more staffing. Uh, I think what I'm hearing is more the staffing woes. Staffing level woes. Um, number two, did you want to jump in there? Where? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't have any information on um, other patient adverse events and so forth. But what are your colleagues in other um, other hospitals saying to you? Are, you? are you getting a lot of confirmation for the things that you saw yourself? Um, basically, they the 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 theme seems to be oh, it's either coincidental or oh, we see those things all the time. Um, but prior to October, when I was seeing things. Um, these things were not normal. Um, these things were occurring like more often than usual. So in terms of elderly patients coming in had had falls in the nursing homes. Um, you know, we usually would only get one or two elderly per week with with a fall. These, they, these elderly patients were coming in every day and I only worked two shifts and I was having at least three elderly patients from the nursing homes coming in, chogging up all the ambulance 
you know, we had lineups of um, uh, patients on trolleys out the front of our emergency. Because um, the I elderly people were ro- – it was rolled out to the elderly first. That was first, And then you yeah. just saw this spike of elderly people coming in. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Um, and a spike in young people as well, your 30 to 40-year-olds, uh, saying to the doctors, I, I have got these – funny pains and the only thing that I have had is the vaccine within a couple of days. I could hear between, you know, nothing's um, exactly confidential information in an emergency department. I can hear when I'm in a bay with another patient, I can hear the doctor talking to patients and this is what they were saying. So for, for now, I don't ask my other colleagues if they are seeing um, specific things because uh, I think it's mm, not sure. But I guess in terms of like if you want to know about the how the healthcare system's going, they're saying it's, um, you know, they're overworked, there's it's dangerous conditions. They've already had the, the ANF uh, secretary down to discuss further um, strategies to put in place. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that though. So... What sort of strategies to do, to do what? Uh, to get pretty well more staffing because in your emergency department, you need to have a certain um, amount of staffing in each area and yeah. that's not what was happening. Mm. Um, you know, we've struggled also with that, that for years. Also that are appropriately qualified to be there. You, you've, you know. Yeah, so uh, I know for a fact there was a shift that there was no nurse – uh, capable of um, ventilation in the resus zone. What? Exactly. And you've got, you know, at present the emergency departments are full with agency nurses, which don't get me wrong, they are br- – so I I've used to be an agency nurse. Brilliant nurses, very adaptive, all those sorts of things, um, yet, you know, then you've got your – you don't. you're not going to have your, your – your good mix of your qualified staff and qualifications. Tell me. Um, it's dangerous. Mm, it's extremely dangerous. It's shocking to hear. Mm. Uh, I mean, where do we go with this? Well, that, I'll tell you what the elites are going to do. There's going to be various disasters in the hospital because of this, because the staff who were there, apart from being regularly jabbed and getting sick, they are overworked. And so what's going to happen is the government say, we've got to solve this crisis. Either we bring back the people who refuse to be jabbed, which they don't want to do, or they'll bring in people from overseas. They'll bring in people who can't speak English properly, haven't been trained, and they'll want to jab them. And especially if they can't speak English well, it is those people who will be bullied and bullied to accept lower yeah. wages so they can turf everyone Yeah, else. and that's what we expect to see, and we're already seeing it, right? I'll Go just, ahead. I'll just come in here because yeah. I worked in um, London in the National Health Service and that's what I saw when I was back in 1970 when I was a young nurse. I worked there. It was fine. When I came back and worked there in 2004, the whole system had gone to the ground and, and that's just not me saying it. Doctors, everybody was saying how bad the National Health Service and that was because I'm not racist but they were bringing in a lot of these um, yeah, Asian or foreigners and people like that um, who couldn't speak English. I couldn't even understand them when they were handing over to me about patients. I had to actually stop 
one young man and said to him, um, you need to now go back through all of that detail yep. to me because I'm not taking over this shift. I was working agency. Yep, I'm yep. not taking over this shift not knowing what you've just said. Yeah, um, that's right, 100%. And, and I just found the whole system was really appalling. It really is. And, yeah. and what you'll find, unfortunately, is that patients will refuse to have that nurse look after them again. That's what yeah. we were having. Yeah. That my patients were saying, I do not want that nurse because I cannot understand them and they are rough or, you know, they'll yeah, be Yeah, it's expressed. absolutely not good enough. It's not being racist. It's not acceptable. That's what it is. Um, tell me something. When this started occurring... Um, remember on the TV, it was like, oh my God, the hospitals are overloaded. It was all these stories about that. And yet so many people, even, even here in Australia, were going in and checking it out for themselves. I know someone who personally did that. I did it too, but a little bit later in the stage. I know somebody who, um, and they've got video footage of it. They went in there right early in the day in the thing, and the place was empty. And yet we were told on the news that same night that, that everything was overloaded. So tell me. If you're talking two. about in the lockdown? Yeah, in the actual yeah. lockdown. So twenty twenty. Yeah. Correct. So I think it was about April. So um, I because I work casual shifts as well, I work my two rostered shifts, casual shifts as well. Uh, we as casual and you know, our our departments full of casual nurses mm -hmm. that pretty much do full-time casual work there. We were not getting any shifts. I got one shift in five weeks. Yeah, right, because the, 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 was the numbers no were low. patients. <laughs> we had no patients because everyone presumed that, oh, no, I won't go to hospital because they'll be either full of, for some reason, yeah, exactly. COVID, when we had no COVID At all. in yeah, the yeah. community – um, you know, th this is just the brainwashing from your yeah. From your it, it's, media. it's all been brainwashing. Yeah. Number so, one, did you see that as well? Did you experience that that thing? So what I've experienced, I then worked at a surgical ward. So um, we were not able to do planned operations. Only the emergency operations yeah. were able to go through during this lockdown. During this lockdown. And, and there was no, was there any reason for that? Was there any actual reason for that? Or was it all just this media spin and hype that was causing that? There was no COVID in the community here until very recently. That's so right. So there was no, there was no, the COVID ward that was locked up and fully staffed was completely empty. And that ward that used to be a yeah. stroke ward was moved into the private sector. So we were looking after people after stroke. And there was no operations going on, yeah, mm. at all. That's yep. right. And the and the people who got sick, as said, we started in twenty twenty one, is because they'd had the jabs and they were getting sick from vaccine reactions. That's right. Yet the mainstream media tells the masses of stupid people otherwise. I know one lady who's a grandmother, member of the ALP. She was preaching to people, saying it was. Uh, uh, the unvaccinated who were sick in hospital. She didn't yeah. realise she's got a grandson of her own. Yeah, and that's the, 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 the lie that they're spinning. Number two, what have you got to say about that? Oh, I was just going to go back a bit and mm -hmm. say, well, your um, emergency departments were not full. What was happening at home was people were having 
heart attacks and strokes, um, real yep. life-threatening conditions, but they were thinking, oh, no, I can't go to the emergency department. My problem's not as bad as, yeah. So I Isn't it a crime? It's a crime, yeah. And while this was going on, what was happening, there was no – um, I remember there was no uh, uh, salbutamol, Ventolin, in any of the pharmacies. I remember sending a patient home from our high dependency unit with some supply because she was in hospital in respiratory distress because she could not get her medications at the pharmacy. A week later, that patient died yes, in, our, in hospital as well because she came in so unwell. Yeah, her Yep, and her because of all the lockdowns, she only yeah. had her, I think it was a grandson or, or someone that disgusting. could go to her front door, not visit, yeah, go inside disgusting. and visit. So she, yeah, so she died. She, she, I vaguely remember quizzing the doctor and he said she had a cold. She had the rhinovirus and because she's got severe lung compromised, um, you know, an immune system, she died because she didn't have her, her normal medications at home. Mm. Um, we've got a few little technical difficulties here, everybody. Just so you know, number one and number two, we're, we've got about 10 more minutes to go, okay? Um, everybody, we're, we're doing the very best we can and there are children involved in all sorts of other things. It's a community day here in Australia, so please bear with us we're, with a few of those little interruptions. Um, uh well, okay, number two is signalling to me here, everybody. Um, you wanted to just quickly mention um, uh, an issue with all of this that you've experienced personally with um, your partner. Go yeah, ahead. So, um, so I think, I think what you will see more is what's called adverse events post these vaccines. Um, so not necessarily... You know, you're going to get your vaccine injuries, but they're going to be rare. And I said this ages ago, I said, you're not going to see a lot of um, significant injuries in a place like the Southwest or in a, in a town like ours of 100,000 population. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're going to be rare, but what you're going to see is these adverse um, adverse events. So my husband had uh, under economic coercion, of course, for mm-hmm. his job. Yep. Uh, had to have his uh, vaccine. So he had a first dose of AstraZeneca and then six days later um, I ended up nursing him at home for two days. He started off with a sore throat, um, swollen neck, uh, lymph glands, uh, swollen tongue. It was painful painful for him to swallow food and fluids. Um, really unwell, temp of 38. Um, I booked him in to see the GP but, of course, you can't take them in. You have to have a car park assessment another Um, crime (laughs) so and you can't even get in so yeah that was my thinking I need to get him some antibiotics if he really can't shake this off Uh, so yeah classical symptoms of what I thought was a a tonsillar quinsy um, so a a serious yeah abscess tonsillar abscess yeah so I um, rang the emergency department of course I know my colleagues yeah I said I'm bringing him up um, yeah, so that was quite good. I got to chat with all my colleagues because I hadn't seen them in four months or so forth. Um, yeah, so treated with um, the usual stuff that we would treat someone with swelling around their airway and he had lots of swelling under his tongue as well. So 
Um, your usual, yeah, um, steroids, antibiotics, fluids, um, had a CT of his neck, had an oral um, uh, X-ray of his mouth, blood tests and so forth, blood cultures, swabs, COVID swabs, all, yeah. all of that. Now, what they um, diagnosed him with is called a Ludwig's angina, which is a very rare complication usually that you get when someone leaves, like a dental abscess or an oral infection for too long. Um, yeah, so... So it's effectively a, a blood poisoning issue? Usually if somebody leaves, like okay. a, yeah, you, you know, a dental abscess for too long, yep. they'll end up with this rare condition called Ludwig's angina. Right. So, yeah, he, he had to spend four nights up at Fiona Stanley Hospital under because um, then you're under the ears, nose, throat um, specialist. specialist. Yeah. I had said to... And, you know, every, everyone was... Um, Lovely, of course. I said to the the ED doctor, I hadn't met him before he was a locum, um, and I just said, look, this is what he's had six days earlier. I can't say that that's what it's from, but I said he was, has not been unwell in any way prior to this, um, and he, he's never been in hospital. He's not a sick, you know, he's not a sick person or have any underlying um, immune conditions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, so... Up, up at Fiona Stanley for four nights um, and they couldn't find anything either. So he had all the blood tests and so forth. Um, so there basically was no definitive cause for this swelling. Um, it's quite severe swelling. If you leave this sort of swelling, you can end up with a, a, a obstructed airway. So that's why they, they took it very seriously um, and treated as as per you would with a... Um, a severe infection going on now can i can i ask you number two what were you satisfied with the kind of patient care that your husband received i mean i know that they were your colleagues that we're talking about but were you happy with the process that you went through so yeah i guess yeah i was but i think because i was in there and i was yeah they um, know who you are they knew who i was and they were checking up on me and i i was sort of i wouldn't say interfering i was just helping yeah yeah so 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 they didn't they didn't treat you like a normal patient no Uh, they couldn't do you almost get treated a bit higher up the level almost of course you would so basically yeah in in terms of I'll, I'll, I'll let you know this in terms of getting an ambulance for a patient transfer up to Perth well they got that pretty quick right yeah so you were well looked after I was well looked after yeah and there was no con job put on you no no right well thank you for sharing that story um, I'm glad that things worked out really well for you like that uh, Mark and I have both heard quite quite too many stories of a very different scenario for people who had been injured by the jab. Um, and um, anyone who's listened to our series up until now will know all about that. So, ladies, let's move on a little bit because there's one key subject that we haven't covered yet, and that's the subject of APRA. Um Colleen, I know that you've done a little bit of research on this and I'd, I'd really love to know what you've got to say about that. Um, maybe just off the top of your head, I know you've got some notes there. I always discourage the use of notes because it takes away the spontaneity of, of um, spontaneity 
Andrew, get the words right. Um, I'm a little bit tired, everyone. I've been going really hard at it for the last few weeks and I've just had my mum to st- stay with me. She's off in Melbourne again now. Hi, mum. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worn out. So, anyway, but that's um, my, just my excuse. Um, what, what do we know about – I'm really interested in the, the – to discuss the fact that APRA is not – actually an Australian government institution. It's under the control of the World Health Organization. And uh, doesn't it just fit this overall tyrannical healthcare system that we're experiencing now that isn't it just fitting that um, that particular control mechanism is actually under the control of a foreign body? Uh, Yes. Well, interestingly enough, Every year I paid my APRA fees, never thought anything about them. Mm. Until recently, I found out who was actually on that board. And I'll just read them out if it's all right. Oh, you can go ahead, please. When we're dishing dirt. Two social workers, one educator, one accountant, one physiotherapist, one mathematician, one psychiatrist and three lawyers. There is no, apart from the psychiatrist who may have done his um, general medical and then progressed, Mm. there is no representation from any frontline doctors, nurses, no medicals. That's right. At all. Just what you'd expect because with a mathematician there, the mathematician is the one who justifies the false modelling. Mathematicians come up with a projection. They say that a million Australians will die of the new flu, say elbow pox or whatever whatever you might call it, and then uh, they give everyone the mask, the lockdowns and the jabs, and a year later 30,000 old people have died from the flu, as you'd expect, And the mathematicians and others then say, see how good the masks, lockdowns and jabs were. They saved a million lives. The error in the statement is the claim for the the mathematical modelling. The lies are based on mathematics. Yeah, except that that's what they say in meeting number two. Meeting number one is, see, I told you we'd get that many. If we do this, we'll get you know we get three billion. (laughs) If um if we don't do that, we might only get one point five. Hmm. Dirty, dirty. T- By the way, uh, have have you all seen the the documentary called Monopoly? No. Okay. So it was. Um, I've I've talked about this in the past on on the podcast. Uh, it, it was ripped down off the off the internet really quickly. I believe it went back up several times more. You could probably still find it, but it's a really interesting expose of. Um, who truly controls the world from a financial perspective. And this guy takes you through a process, shows you how he did it, and it's all very logical. And then he comes to the conclusion that, oh, we have these companies called BlackRock and Vanguard, for example, and all the super trillionaires, because there are trillionaires out there, people. We just don't get told about them. Mm. They all distribute their money um, through a mechanism mechanism of control using these um not-for-profit organisations and so on and so forth to spread their money around without them being um, implicated implicated in, in it. Control. Yeah, and it, and there, and I just forget the name of the guy, but there was um, a guy in Australia who did a study on that and raised that as a very big point of concern um, with um, the Australian government. It's directly in relation to the way these not-for-profit and um, non-government entities. 
uh, can work and the rules around how they can work. So that's really interesting. Um, anyway, the last part of that documentary is where they show this virologist from Belgium um, giving a, a speech to a room of maybe about 25, 20 people, 20, 25 people. And it was all about the SARS pandemic and how that, that was actually an experiment that they ran and all of the learnings that they ran f- through that that they learnt through that process. And it was all about how if you take these, if you do this step, this step and this step, you'll have all of the public completely believing in what you're saying to Mm -hmm. them. And uh, I had to stop and rewind that section a few times because there were these little demon creatures in the audience, um, little men with pink sweaters on, uh, with the most gleeful, joyful um, expressions on their face, like they've just heard the most wonderful thing they'd ever heard in their lives before. And it was all about how you can manipulate other human beings into taking these experimental drugs and all these things that you can do to them and how you can use the press to manipulate them. And no wonder the the, the tech... Um, Giants, the censor, the, the giant censorship machine mm. went into overdrive to get rid of that one. But anyway, let's get back to APRA. What do you know about APRA, Colleen? Well, as I said, I didn't really know much, just that they needed my fees um, every year in mm. May. Uh, so, But never. you've since learnt lots about them, right? Well, basically they're the regulatory body... Mm. But they're the ones that are gagging all of our doctors, nurses, allied health people. With their non-frontline working staff, their, their administration staff of lawyers and, and mathematicians. Obviously, whatever they've you know, put together. The latest thing that I've just heard... Um, and just speak into your mic, please. The latest thing that I've just heard is that they're about to, and I haven't... Um, actually verified this mm-hmm. That's but okay. that the um there was a medical practitioner who was interviewed by rebel news and for um they're going to to give a new addition to the code of conduct previously it stated that health practitioners must understand the principles of immunisation against communicable diseases. But from the 29th of June, which is this week, states the health practitioners must be immunised against any relevant communicable disease. Well, what Mm. does that tell you? That's, you know, they can uh, decide anything. That's right. They want to dumb down the doctors by jabbing them. In Queensland, I believe that's already been made law that all practising doctors have to have the regular immunisations, including the COVID jabs. So considering the damage it gives to the people's minds, they'll be a bunch of zombies in three or four years. Um, I know we're already in a declared state of emergency, but I think we're really going to be in one um, in the near future. And did you know that there's mathematical modelling out there that shows that um, very quite vast numbers of people are expected to die? Yes, I've heard that. Yes. It's frightening. And these, and I'm not going to go into that side of things, but these are very legitimate statisticians. 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 And um, working with very knowledgeable people around the globe to put these models together. 
Um, I'm frightened. What about you guys? That's why I think with our research, we didn't take the jab. Well, uh, look, I did a lot of research on it myself and um, everything that you've said here today is what I, the way I understood it. In fact, uh, I mean, I even understood that uh, if you had conditions like um, epilepsy, the very, very last thing that you would ever do is take the jab. Yet that's, that's right. not on the um, exemption, r- exemption list. Right. Um, and I know for a fact that there is a young girl who was working, a you know, 23-year-old girl that was working for one of the big mining giants over here, bullied, harassed, can, you know, coerced into getting it done. So she went off and did it uh, late in the afternoon. So she left work a little bit early, got had her 5.30 appointment, got the jab, went home and died about two hours later after the jab. She fitted until she was dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she fitted till she died. No hope of coming out of it. Um, the jabs cause you to have this condition where you can't actually have an op- a possibility of getting out of the fit. Mm. Um, gosh, um, I think that our Premier needs to face charges over that and any of these so-called professionals that insisted that there was only going to be an exemption for um, the three... Uh, anaphylactic shock and uh, uh, mm. other conditions on that exemption form. Is it the F011 form? Is that what it is? Even for the anaphylaxis, what yeah. they're purporting or what they now say is that you will need to now go and get a different sort. If you had Pfizer first, you get a Moderna. Yeah. And and basically go to where there's um, a physician or somebody there who can administer CPR. That's yeah, right. That's I mean. totally corrupt, that. I mean, they're basically saying, well, since this second COVID jab is a little bit different to the other one, you, you have to test for anaphylaxis by but giving it, them the jab. But isn't it it's shocking? Isn't it shocking to think that you, you could be in a scenario where you say, now, sit down here. Now, we're going to be with you in a moment. We're just going to get ready to save your life. Um, now, just be calm. It's okay. This is all completely normal. But just in case, we're going to have someone on standby to save your life. That that is enough to make me bolt. And um, I saw this really interesting video clip that was on Twitter just the other day. And it was literally someone in a patient's, in a waiting room. And this patient has come out through the glass doors and collapsed right in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. And they're all struggling to get to get this person sort of upright and the patient or the, the, the people in the lineup just sitting there just like watching on. I would have been up and running. That's right. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> I don't yeah. need your jab. That, that happened to a lady I, I met in Perth. She came from New Zealand and she said that, unknown to me, my daughter, she tried to convince her daughter, who I think was a nurse who was coerced finally to go and get the jab and so she didn't tell her mother and she went into the queue to join the jab and the person in front of her once he was jabbed within five seconds he collapsed dead on the ground and they had to call in all the uh, you know the paramedics and she was so frightened she ran off home and didn't get us <laughs> lucky her yes yeah so even so the doctors will not give exemptions the gps will not give exemptions that's right 
And funnily enough, the, the uh, immunologist who you would go, yeah, a specialist that you get referred to, like so same thing is my, in my husband's case, um, she also said, no, we cannot give out um, exemptions. All, all I can do is suggest you do not get that same vaccine that you had but you are okay to get a different COVID vaccine. Mm. Gee, there are honest immunologists, but I don't seem to have struck them. I seem to have struck mm. dishonest ones. Yeah, but how, how honest is that, her saying you now just need to go and get a different sort? That's right. It's dishonest, her saying that. Oh, She's it's hiding the evidence. It's utterly shocking. We've, we hear that story all the time. They're all gagged. They're, everyone's gagged. Hey, listen, um, do you guys all think that um, it's really, really concerning that our doctors clearly don't have um, critical thinking capabilities anymore? It's, it feels to me, I'm sure I'm not speaking about all of them, but there are a heck of a lot of them. Um, certainly, I'm sure in the GP space, mm. uh, I've experienced two GPs who even after I'd warned, the, warned them that they were in breach of their code of conduct by, conduct by continuing to curse me. One of them tried to curse me twice more times after that. The other one um, stopped cold in their tracks when I said, I'm about to report you to APRA. Say that one more time. Here's my phone. I'm, I'm recording you. Say it one more time. Um, and... Um, as soon as you bring up, I, 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 with with two of them, I sat and I ran through a list of all the things that they'd just done wrong according to the legislation. And when I suggested that I was going to report one of them to APRA, they literally physically started trembling and lost the ability mm -hmm. to speak. And I'm like, sorry, are you mumbling? You're, you're a doctor. You're supposed <laughs> to be all over this pillar of the society and look at the way you're behaving. You're a criminal and you know it. Um, and they, but but they they. I, 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 hey, here's a question I've been asking a lot of people: How do you think we? What sort of a state is our healthcare system going to be in after we we do finally get past all of this? I think we're going to have well a lot of doctors that have like literally can't work anymore because they've been seriously injured um mark and i have met a guy just recently who is permanently paralyzed down his uh, right hand side yeah, um, can't work any longer so you're going to have a loss of doctors there mm. then you're going to have a loss of them where their um their consciousness is so heavily darkly compromised that they're not going to ever able to be able to get over their um, the, their depression. That's right, because they're uh, mentally the, blocked and censored. If they've been jabbed, it'll dull their ability to think as well. Yeah. So how reliable are they going to be when you come to them with a life-threatening um, situation? Mm -hmm. And then the most scary part of it, uh, you've got the ones who enjoyed it and went along with it. Mm. Now. Um, are we going to suddenly have a whole lot of psychopath killers on our hands? Because I think we are. Um, yeah. all, all agents of the government, by the way. Mm. And by the way, did you know what the most statistically, the most common way to die is? It's called democide. It means death by government. Yeah. yeah. And here's another one that's really interesting, ladies, since you're in uh, nurses. I hope I don't upset you here. But... Um, you know, we get so carried away with all these things, like how many people are going to die of COVID and all that sort of thing. But just literally, um, 
infections that you can get in hospitals. There's no way to avoid it, but quite a lot of people die in hospitals just through that. Mm, that's right. Golden Saf's a, a classic. Um, so why... Just, just not that. You've got yep. a lot of um, malfeasance in drugs being given wrongly. Now, yeah. if these people have got dulled down brains... yeah. What's going to happen? I, I think it's frightening. I think the future we face, um, and not only that, I mean, we are already, I mean, part of the, some of the things that you listed earlier, Colleen, um, uh, are a real issue, but um, doctors these days spend most of the first 20 years of their working life repaying their debts. Mm. Um, when you've got a situation where those people, they're under a huge amount of pressure anyway, just getting through the internships and stuff like that, then they're stressed to the hilt over money. Mm. Um, surely we're putting ourselves in a very precarious situation you know, as a society. That's right. This is preparatory to collapse. I mean, if we destroy the medical profession, like we're destroying the legal profession by saying that uh, people who've had the jab mandated by a business can then sue the uh, business mm. and then have the business say that uh, they're going to sue them back and then have the insurance providers not going to uh, support them. We're basically turning our society adversarial. They want people yes. fighting each other in the street. Well, it is. Like a gladiatorial pit. It is. But this is That'll what the alone. elites want. Yeah. It's exactly the plan. That's exactly what they want. Mm. They do. All of this, if you sit back and look at all of these things that go on, I mean, we, um, I did a podcast last night with some Indigenous leaders in the commu Perth community. Um, you can sit back and if you really do analyse it and philosophically, you know, think about it and talk to others, you can really see that much of this is literally divide and conquer techniques. Yep. Very elaborate ones. But it is. It's all about keeping us separated. Um, I mean, as nurses, isn't it fascinating that um, we've known throughout history that when you get a cold, which COVID is a cold, right, um, you go outside, get lots of vitamin D, fresh air, do some exercise, all that sort of stuff, go for a swim. But no, no, no. Um, it's a state of emergency. You must all isolate in your own homes, don't get any sun. And then we've gotten through all that. Now what they're saying is, well, at the World Economic Forum, well, we did really, really well. But the problem is, is it's transmission within the home. So what we're going to need to do is we're going to go need to go into people's homes and very caringly and very ethically, we're going to separate the families and keep them apart until it's safe to allow them to come back together again. I what mean, we, oh my God. What did we just see in China? Oh, yes. The lockdowns there in Shanghai and in Beijing. People's stores welded Lapsed. shut, yeah. families pulled apart. And starving people, people because they've been locked down for so long. And you can see that the Communist Party is corrupt. They've basically taken on a business model and they want to wipe out their population there as our governments here in Australia and the Western world want to do exactly the same. Mm. All right, um, I think we're at the end of the show. We do need to close. It's been a very interesting discussion. Um, it really has been fun as well. Thank you so much, number one and number two, for sharing a mic today. And I um, hope your backs are okay. There's been a lot of leaning back and forth to get to the mic. Thank you so much. Colleen, thank you so much for being with us. Look, all three of you, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, it's been It's very important to hear 
from the other side of things. And we've got um, some doctors that we're going to do an interview soon uh, with soon. So really looking forward to that. And of course, we have, uh, well, I think, well, it's easy to say well over 40 um, injured people just waiting for us to catch up with them. So um, we've got lots more of this content to come. I think the stories are going to continue to get more interesting because we don't know what we're going to see, right? Um, so we're hoping that we're going to be able to assist um, researchers and the like to start to collate some of this data and spot some of the things that have been reported on, on these or through these interviews. Um, so I'm really, really pleased that I can be involved with it at that level so thank you very much, everyone. Mark, thank you, thank you so much as always being the co-host today. Um, and look, um, thank you to our audience. Thank you so much for being with us and sticking with – we've been going nearly two hours, so I really, really appreciate that you um, listened all this way along. Um, as always, could I please appeal to you to support this podcast by becoming a patron? Um, I'd really appreciate that. I will openly admit that I'm very new at this. I have had a few patrons that have come and left already <laughs> because I didn't realise that they'd become patrons. I'm not. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a what's it called? Like a a social media influencer or whatever. Um, I do need to try and make a little bit of a living because I'm going broke fast. But um, please um, consider becoming a patron. I'd really appreciate it if you did. And I will keep my eyes more closely glued on those systems, if you want to put it that way. Um, also, could I please appeal to any like-minded business owners? Would you potentially like, be, uh, like to be uh, a, a sponsor of the show? We'd love to hear from you. Could you please reach out to me on either uh, Twitter or Instagram? On those accounts, I have, again, I haven't quite got myself all sorted out yet, but um, uh, most people will know that I have the Bellman Report on YouTube and Rumble. We, you know, I've done a lot of video interviews and made all sorts of sort of mini doco sort of um, coverages of the various events that have gone on around Perth and the West Australian region. Um, so please go over to the Bellman Report on Twitter or Instagram and reach out to me via direct message if you'd like to sponsor the show. I'd really appreciate it and I would love to hear from you. Okay, with that being said, um, from us here in Australand at the Australand Community Centre, I'd like to say... Thank you, Australian, for having us. And um, goodbye, everyone. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thanks Thank for you. your time, Andrew. Thank Thanks, you. Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Colleen. Thank you, number Mark. one. Number two. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Um, okay, everyone, we're going to close the show with a song by my very dear friend, uh, Kelly Newton Wordsworth. This is Hold the Line. We stand for our freedom We stand for the children We stand for our right to be free We stand against tyranny Hold the line, hold the line Our people Hold the line, hold the line Hold the line, hold the line Our people
every woman and man Time for you to understand There are lessons to be learned from history Now the tide must turn Hold the line, hold the line Up people, hold the line Hold the line Hold the line Hold the line Now people Hold the line Hold the line There's a book called Vaccination That tells a tale of great deception Bill Gates of hell destruction must pay the price for his corruption Hold the line, hold the line Our people Hold the line, hold the line Hold the line, hold the line Our people Hold the line, hold the line Dr. Fauci Politicians in their coats and their ties With Big Pharma will go down with their lies Hold the line, hold the line Our people Hold the line, hold the line Hold the line, hold the line Hold the line, hold the line Hold the line, hold the line